You have the American dream. You run your own business. But running a business turns out to be more than you thought. It's a pain in the neck. You're not getting where you want to go. You're not getting what you want to get. And you're working 97 hours a week. We're here to help you fix that. This is the Small Business Celebration Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Roberts, and on this podcast, you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. This five-star iTunes review is courtesy of Daryl Dean Santos, agency owner of the Daryl Santos Farmers Insurance Agency. He writes, this podcast provides great insight to the minds of entrepreneurs. Michael gets a good read on his guests and asks insightful questions. You can take any nuggets away from all of his episodes that are applicable just by listening to them. Be careful, you just might binge listen. Before we begin our interview with this week's successful small business vision year, I want to take a moment and thank you, the listener, for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, you're about to hear an example of why after several thousand downloads in just over a year, small business owners, CEOs, CFOs, partners, and general managers download the Small Business Celebration podcast in record numbers on a weekly basis. We want to thank the tremendous content that our Vision Year guests continue to provide this podcast, our sponsors, and you, Vision Year Nation, who have subscribed with this podcast, internalized our guests' valuable insight, and because of it, are growing a strong and profitable business. And we thank you. Our guest today is Jerry Tyler, the president of Heart of Nature, and welcome to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Hi. Thank you, Michael. And for those of our listeners who don't know, what is Heart of Nature and what is it that you do? Heart of Nature is a mining company that mines natural minerals and controls the quality and sells them into the agricultural industry and some into the environmental industry. Mm -hmm. What kinds of minerals do you harvest? We're mining the old medicine mine in central Nevada. Mm. So it's sulfur medicines. Hmm. This mine has been used historically for over 100 years in making medicine for humans Hmm. and animals. We came in late in the game about what my father did around 25 years ago and found it to be a great pH reducer in alkaline soils here in the San Joaquin Valley. Why is pH such a big deal for alkaline soils? When you have a lot of salt in your soil, certain types of plants won't grow. They have Mm. to be very salt tolerant. Mm -hmm. If you can get your pH to neutral around 6.3 to 6.5. pH does what? pH provides an environment for growth. So Uh if you have, even in your garden, Mm -hmm. if you put some fertilizer on some of your plants in your garden and it doesn't seem to do anything, Mm -hmm. if your pH balance isn't correct, those nutrients that you're applying really can't work. The plant can't get it. So pH balance is a way to get the right environment in the soil for your plant to grow properly. And a pH balance is the difference between something that's very acidic and something that's very balanced and acidic or alkaline acidic or alkaline okay so what your product is doing is lowering the amount of salt or breaking down the salt in the soil so that the plant can grow healthier and stronger and produce more correct we actually precipitate the salts below the root zone is Ah. technically what we're doing okay and bringing down the ph in alkaline soils which is predominant here in the san joaquin valley this business started with your father and then became you and your father, and now it is entirely your business. 
What precipitated getting into this? Why was there such a need to find a mineral that could do what your product does to help these farmers? And how did you briefly get into this market? My father is an agronomist originally from Cal Poly Pomona. Mm -hmm. So he was subsequently hired by several farming companies. And when I was in high school, we had a farm off of Bear Mountain Boulevard and Adobe Road, where we farmed 2,200 acres. And that was out by Arvin, correct? It was by Arvin. Uh-huh. And so it was very high pH soil, very salty soil. So we were limited on the types of crops we can grow. Uh-huh. Sulfur was really needed to make anything grow better. So my father learned how what forms of sulfur worked better than others. Mm-hmm. And our Ranch was kind of almost like a sulfur experiment on what types of sulfur we're going to make our crops do better, what made our farm do better. Mm -hmm. This information that you learned by trial and error, I'm guessing, Mm -hmm. you managed to find this set of minerals out in Nevada that seemed to work out well. And how did you take this experience from trial and error and be able to create a business and an industry from that? We were doing a natural source of sulfur long before the organic thing came out Mm -hmm. because we found that a natural occurring sulfur that came from the ground as a volcanic deposit seemed to be plant available right away versus Mm -hmm. the sulfur that's coming out of refineries, oil refineries. Ah. And that form of sulfur can sit in the ground for three to five years before your plant sees any type of reaction. Is it because the plant has a hard time processing the petroleum-based product? Correct, because the sulfur is not in a format that's plant available. Ah. That's the key. It's the typical sulfur for a conventional farmer is a waste byproduct of the petroleum industry. Hmm. And it's refined and heated up so hot that it's in an elemental form that has to go through a thiosulfate process to become plant available. That's why it takes time. And it's already been done in a natural deposit like what we have out of central Nevada. That is because of volcanic reactions or volcanic activity, correct? Well, it's a little more technical than that. The bright yellow sulfur that people know is called elemental sulfur. Okay. Then when you smell a gas, that's a sulfur gas, smells like rotten eggs, that's Mm -hmm. actually an SO2. Okay. An SO2 gas. When the sulfur goes beyond the gas to an SO3 and winds up as an SO4, Mm -hmm. The SO4, fully sulfated, is the only form of sulfur the plant can get. Ah. When you find a natural deposit of it, the thiosulfate process in the ground has already happened. If you put that type of sulfur in the ground, your plant's going to respond immediately, and that's exactly what we do. Your father discovered this through trial and error, and he found a great location to harvest this and mine it. How did the business part of it come into play? My father was introduced to this deposit about a mile high in central Nevada by an old prospector friend of his that was searching for silver and gold. Okay. He found this sulfur deposit in the middle of these mountains in central Nevada, and he knew that my father used sulfur in his business. And he says, man, I found some natural sulfur up in the mountains looking for silver and gold. My dad was really intrigued by that. And he said, well, is it a mine? And he said, yeah, it's a mine. So my dad did a little bit of research, and it's the old medicine mine. Wow. And this was about 25, 26 years ago. Mm. He investigated it further, and they actually took some samples and had it tested and thought, wow, this would really work good in crop production. He had tried to develop 
the mind get approvals and everything else. And my father was an agronomist. He was a scientist. Mm -hmm. He was not a businessman. He'd always worked for the big farming companies. Right. I wound up going into entrepreneurship really in, in my lifetime. Uh-huh. And my father knew that I was at a point in my life looking for something a little different back in the uh, mid-90s. And he asked me, he said, son, I really want to do something about this sulfur mine. And if you'll help me, I think we can turn it into something. And so he asked me for his help, which is the first time my father asked me for help. Or it's always, <laughs> I was asking him. So I had a hard time saying no to my own father, although it took several years before I finally said yes. We took a risk and gave it a shot. And here we are. How did you approach your first 100 customers? Because this is something that is, there's nothing like it on the market. It's not proven. And yes, you might have some science or at least a report that says it does this, but it hasn't been around for 100 years. How did you take this untested, unknown product to market? We had to give it away for free because no one believed us. Uh, we literally had to offer to growers We'll give you a free truckload, a free two truckloads to put on the worst part of your farm, and we're going to turn it around. And if mm. we turn it around, you'll be a customer. And we literally had to do that because people thought that our product was snake oil when we first came out because it sounded too good to be true. Sure. We've been pushing this cart for about 18 years. Then finally, after about five or six years, the carts started pulling us. Nice. And now we're hanging on for dear life. It's like a rocket because the organic thing has gotten popular and everything we do is under organic standards. Right. And we're OMRI listed and organic approved now. And if we can't be good, be lucky. The, the organic wave hit and we're one of the very few sources of an organic approvable sulfur. We're now shipping it all over the world. We got lucky. In order to give the product away for five years, that requires tremendous capital because you have to mine it, you have to transport it, you have to package it, you have to sell it. There's a whole system, a chain of things that you have to do. How did you get the funding to be able to do this? Credit cards, um, <laughs> having our wives pay the mortgage for a while while my dad and I did the work. Right. That was a big part of it. But it didn't take long. Our stuff worked so fast that really we'd provide a couple of loads. They'd see a response in anywhere from two weeks to two months. Oh, okay. And worst case, one full season. And by the next season, they were customers. We got kind of lucky early on. One of our biggest customers happened to be Grimway Farms. Oh. So we went from selling a truckload or two to a farmer here and a farmer there, all of a sudden selling maybe 30 truckloads at a time to Grimway. That was way back in 2006, 2007. And that really helped us launch when we finally got some larger farming companies that saw the same kind of reaction. We finally got some scientists behind what we had to agree and explain to us why it works like it does. So we started to become believable in the mid-2000s. Your product now stretches more than just commercial growers, does it not? Yeah. So we are working on retail. We'd like to be in home and garden. Mm -hmm. We've trademarked the name Organic Magic, mm. and we've been in talks with Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart, Amazon. Our next phase of financing is going to be for some bagging equipment, and we're going to go into the retail market now that we've proven commercial farmers have tremendous success with it. We think we'll have an advantage because you don't see farmers buying a truckload of miracle Grow and putting it on their field. Right. But you see them put a truckload, multiple truckloads of our 
heart of nature products on the field. I think that's going to give us an advantage when we go into retail. We are really proven in commercial organic farming and food production. We're a proven commodity. So when we go retail, we're going to have some credibility with a consumer, I think. And if Visionary Nation wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Our office is here in Bakersfield, California. Our operations are mm-hmm. here. And the number is 661-399-9755. And you can reach me by email at jerry at heartofnature.biz, B-I-Z. And our website is heartofnature.biz.biz. Boy, that takes you back, doesn't it? With COVID-19 running amok, our businesses are dependent upon the internet now more than ever. And I'll bet you just found all the computer technical glitches you never knew you had. Good news for you, Kern County's number one rated computer repair service, Bakersfield Bytes, is here and online to take care of your Mac and PC needs. Need help configuring your video conference calls from being so glitchy? Having issues interfacing with your customers, clients, and employees online? Bakersfield Bytes' competent and knowledgeable staff is here to guide you through your hardware and software needs so you can have the interface your business deserves. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 or visit them at bakersfieldbytes.com. That's Bakersfield, B-Y-T-E-S.com, 661-496-5900 or visit them at bakersfieldbytes.com. That's Bakersfield, B-Y-T-E-S. We're here with Jerry Tyler, the president of Heart of Nature. And one of the things that you've had is a lot of expansion and a lot of growth because what started off as you giving it away for five years has now turned into this very robust business. But this doesn't happen in a vacuum. And part of that growth, that steady growth that you've had, comes from culture. And culture for you is very important here at Heart of Nature. Why is that? The reason my father brought me in to help him mm-hmm. is that he had the scientific background. And I wound up with a business background because when we had the farm near Arvin, we got hit with really bad weather. It started with the floods and our entire farm was flooded. We had pump after pump pumping water from one end of the farm to the other to get rid of the water. When was this? This was back in like 1977. Oh, wow. Okay. Then the high winds hit when the soil was wet. So we lost so many trees and the winds were so bad, everybody was getting their windshield replaced because all the dust in the air was ruining windshields. It was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. So at that point in time, my father said, son, You need to get out of agriculture. Mother Nature is not easy on us, and you need to go do something different. I wound up in kind of a broken road between being a musician and going to school (laughs) to where I first I tried to be a rock star in Hollywood for a little while. Then when I became an instant dad, I needed to hunker down and make a real living in a real business. So I wound up learning business, going to business school, and learned about companies, I actually wound up doing mergers and acquisitions for a living Mm. in the 90s. When I had shown my father what I've learned from mergers and acquisitions, I learned a lot about culture. And I saw companies that were successful versus that weren't. And I learned that culture is everything. And there was a common culture of successful businesses that I saw. And what's that? How you treat people. How so? Well, we talk about different methods of management, whether Mm -hmm. it's command and control, Mm. where you need to talk to your supervisor before you talk to this person. It's a hierarchy, kind of up and down. I prefer a flatline approach 
to where everyone in my company is just as important as the next. Mm. By doing that approach, it's, for me, a better team approach because the guy that's running the forklift or that's sweeping our warehouse floor mm-hmm. or my PhD that's working on a scientist or the job that I do, there's not one of us that's more important than the next. Uh. It takes every one of us doing our job to have a good team for all of us to be able to feed our families. And in that spirit, I feel I've built a really good team here at Heart of Nature. I mean, I'm proud of our name. I'm proud of our product. But mostly I'm proud of our people. I have a really good team that's based on love and respect. And I think when you have that, you've really got something. And everybody here has the same vision of wanting this thing to grow Mm. on a good foundation if started with my father in customer service, communication, mm. let your customers know exactly what's going on. How many tons was in that truck so he knows how many tons are going to be spread on so many acres. And make sure you communicate with the customer. Better to over-communicate than under-communicate. Make people feel like you're making their job easy. And to do that, you've got to care about your customer. But you do it better when you care about each other. In the mining industry, in any type of industry where you've got heavy equipment, Mm -hmm. safety has got to be number one. Right. So our theme here is safety is number one, quality is number two, and quantity is number three. Keeping that theme, we all care about each other. When I hold everybody responsible for everybody else's safety, Mm -hmm. we have a safer environment. When I point to a guy and say, look, you see those guys over there? I'm holding you personally responsible for their safety. If you see them in a position where they could get hurt, I want you to shut things down and let them know or let me know. And vice versa, I'm going to hold them responsible for your safety. And what's interesting is we've now wound up with MSHAW safety awards when everybody else gets MSHAW fines. What's MSHAW? MSHAW is the mining safety. It's like OSHA, but Mm -hmm. for mining. Okay. And the mining business typically is a pretty hazardous business. Sure. And people have been hurt and killed in mining. Right. So you really need to pay attention. And safety is very, very important. What we found with any type of regulatory agency, we want to charge the bullet. We pursue the safety and regulatory agencies first, rather than waiting for them to come after us. We go to them, we contact them, and say, hey, look, we've made a change in our equipment. Will you come look at it and let us know that it's the way it's supposed to be? Mm. And they'll come out and do a site survey and say, hey, you know, you need to change this guarding or the way you've got this set up. We'd like to see it this way. Absolutely, we'll get right on it. And we do that. And I've found that having that culture of communication with the regulatory agencies, they know that we are diligent in our safety measures. And we wound up not only not getting fines, but they give us awards. So it's worked out great for us. What is one simple thing that you do on a daily basis to let your employees know that you care? I like to -to face-to-face interact with them all that I can. I travel a lot. Mm -hmm. While I'm traveling, I like to either send them a text, send them a little picture, shoot out an email, let them know I'm thinking about them. And then when I am in the offices here in Bakersfield, I like to do my rounds, I guess, where I go out and meet with, we've got a granulating crew and we've got a loading crew. Mm-hmm. I like to go out and let them know that what they're doing is important mm-hmm. to us and that I appreciate them and truly get involved and ask them how things are going with their family and just letting them know. Because we all know that we don't come to work really for a paycheck. We come to work to provide for our families. So we all have the same cause. Right. I think that's the common denominator throughout the world because- I've been traveling to so many different countries 
the one thing I'm finding in common is people love their families and they do what they do for their families. I've really learned between all the different languages and religions, the common theme I'm finding around the world is that love and family is like a common denominator. The name of our company is Heart of Nature and it sounds corny, but I've always told everybody, as long as we can keep the heart and heart of nature, this company's going to really thrive. And we all turn to that as our guiding post. Let's keep the heart in heart of nature and let's care about each other. And I guess the other thing it does when it comes to hiring and firing, our theme here is we hire lifter uppers and we fire pusher downers. So if for some reason somebody brings in some negativity or they're a backstabber or talking about people or whatever, those people don't seem to last too long. But because of the way we hire, that doesn't happen too often, but it has happened to us, sure. like many companies. When people know that by being upbeat, positive, and helping each other, instead of falling victim to negativity, when they know that they're going to be much more successful at this company by being positive, that continues on. And I think we're helping some people that otherwise might turn to negativity or have in the past to turn to positivity with us. I think that's made us a real strong team. One of the things you also mentioned is that part of your experience in developing and growing this business was dealing with weather and how it had a very difficult impact on the business. One of the things that's nice about being in the farming business, as you mentioned before we started our recording here, is that even in an economic downturn, people need to eat. But that doesn't mean that you're immune to negative economic cycles for you. For you and your industry, it's weather. And you've had patches of bad weather, drought. What have you done or you and your father have done with Heart of Nature to wade through these really difficult economic times due to weather? Weather is regional. When we have bad weather here in California, when we were 90% California for our business, when we had droughts, which we've had historically, and then we've had the opposite. We've had El Nino conditions right. where there's so much rain, you can't even get out in the fields. We were literally, well, I'd say literally starving. I'm kind of a big guy, so I don't look like <laughs> I've starved too much. But you really got to tighten your belt when revenues are down because farmers can't get out in the field because it's just too wet. Right. So economic cycles, when construction's down, people still need to eat, so we're right. fine. When the oil market drops down, Ag is still fine because people still need to eat. So everything going on, even with the coronavirus, farmers are still farming. Right. And farming suppliers like us still need to come to work. Right. We're still working. When we're not working, it's usually because of Mother Nature. We're hit, getting hit with some bad weather. Right. So either the farmers can't get out there to spread in their field or everything's so dry, the farmers don't have the water to grow food. So what happens is they don't even treat the ground that year. Right. And so those are years where our revenues have dipped. Right. And what do you do during those periods when the revenues dip? That's when I go to other countries. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I started getting into export was because I wanted to mitigate our seasonality because when it's cold here, it's hot in Chile. Mm. And when it's hot here, it's cold and chilly. And that's just one example. Mm -hmm. If we go to different countries under different weather patterns, I can try to level off my revenue and level off my seasonality a little bit. And that's what I've had to do is go global, basically. Hello, Visioneers. How would you like free exposure for you and your company to go through the roof? 
Like, comment, and share at least 10 small business celebration posts this month on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Visioner Heidi Forsyth of Bakersfield College did just that on a recent post of ours with John Paul Lake. Heidi asked John Paul an insightful question on our post of him. He answered, and the number of views on that post went through the roof. Now, even more people know about Heidi because of her one intelligent question. Be a visioner like Heidi. Like, comment, and share a small business celebration post on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook today. We're here with Jerry Tyler, the president of Heart of Nature. You began this business with your father. Your father started the business and then brought you into it. And your relationship with your father is very deep. And you have been honored with numerous awards from Congressman Jim Acosta and Congressman Kevin McCarthy, as well as others. And a lot of this is because of the business that you and your father built. Take us through how that relationship worked, because you mentioned earlier that your father asked you for help in this business instead of you asking him for help. Tell us a little bit about that relationship and how does a father-son team, as dynamic and as tumultuous as it can be at times, how did that work and how did the two of you make this business a success? My father and I are both Tauruses, so his birthday was <laughs> April 28th and mine was April 29th, okay? okay? So we're both very bullheaded. We both have a pretty vibrant ego. Mm -hmm. We're both very proud, but our skill sets are different. Mm. My father is a highly educated agronomist scientist. Mm -hmm. I feel I have always had a high intellect and I'm really good at math, so I'm good with figures. So doing the mergers and acquisitions I was doing and actually doing drumming as a drummer, I know how to divide time into parts and pieces of measurements. It's actually mathematics, like right. a 16th of a measure, et cetera. Right. So I'm really good at mathematics. I've also been through a lot of leadership training that my father put me in through with, say, the Order of Demolay when I was young okay. and became master counselor. And of what that. is the Order of Demolay? You have the Shriners and Masons. Mm -hmm. They have a organization for young men growing up to try to get them pointed towards leadership. Mm -hmm. So it's a leadership program that raises money for charity at a young age. Mm -hmm. You go through the ranks of a ritualistic running of business meetings and running events mm. for your community. So it's a way for a young person to start doing some work for their community mm -hmm. and learn how to be a businessman in the meantime. Part of doing this, giving back to the community and learning it at a very early age, it allowed you to start making contacts and allowed you to start sowing the oats for the future of Heart of Nature that you probably had no idea that you were sowing at the no time. no <laughs> idea. I'm like, why am I doing this? You know, yeah. But it, what it did turn into, though, is you have been able to parlay that knowledge and that growth into the Export Council that you got appointed to. Tell us a little bit about what is the Export Council and tell us what it is and why is it important to you and your business? We all know from the news that we have a trade imbalance with much of the world. Right. China is sending us so many things through Walmart and Harbor Freight that we're out and consuming and buying because it's inexpensive. Right. So what we're doing is we're spending our money at Walmart and Harbor Freight. Mm -hmm. That money's all going to China and they're creating jobs over in China. Right. We're doing the opposite. We're creating American jobs 
to produce American products in agricultural supply, and we're sending them to other countries, so they send us their money. Mm. What that does is that helps us balance out our trade deficit. Mm. It's because of the job creation to export American products that we wound up being recipients of these awards. Also that we attended these government forums that teach you how to do this, and we meet with the senior statespeople and diplomats from these other countries and the trade officers, and they get to know who Heart of Nature is. So it sounds funny, and you wouldn't know this from watching cable news, but the federal government is some of my best salespeople because they <laughs> brag about Heart of Nature in Bucharest, Romania, and in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, and in Quito, Ecuador. They brag about our company because I've met them all face-to-face -face at these forums, and then I've subsequently traveled to these countries, and I'm able to have business meetings in our embassies. It's really quite cool. I mean, it's great. How did you get on the District Export Council for both Central California and Southern California? What happened was I attended some government-run forums that teach you how to export. Mm -hmm. I actually turned that into actually exporting. I wound up getting a triple-E award from the Department of Commerce. And what is the triple E? It's an Excellent Efforts in Export Award. And uh -huh. so we got some notoriety because we were a small to mid-sized company that figured out how to do it because it's usually big companies with a lot of resources that export. Right. I was just a little guy that wanted to figure it out. I got some help from the U.S. Department of Commerce and they taught me how to do it and I followed through and started doing it. Once I got that award and we kept exporting, Amongst the people at the U.S. Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C., they were talking about me because I'm this little country bumpkin from Bakersfield <laughs> that was actually doing it, right? So I built a relationship with the people in the federal government, and they wound up being proponents of our products. Well, what happened was at the World Ag Show back in 2011 in Tulare, Congressman Jim Costa gave me a Recognition of Merit Award from Congress. Mm -hmm. Then Kevin McCarthy found out that the Democrats gave us a word. He says, no, no, you got to have one from the Republicans too. So I'm very proud to have both sides of the House have given us the award. Your position with the District Export Council, you can't just walk into the Department of Commerce and say, hey, I want to be on the council. How did you attain that position? Again, if you can't be good, be lucky. So <laughs> what had happened is, is that I was asked to speak at UCLA at a export event, mm -hmm. and I spoke behind Mayor Garcetti in Los Angeles. And Mayor Garcetti gave his speech. It was like World Trade Week in Los Angeles. And a lot of people from trade and a lot of officers, there were some people from Washington, D.C., some big mucky mucks from the Department of Commerce in Washington, D.C. were there. Mayor Garcetti gave a great speech. He's a very charismatic guy. But you can hear glasses and silver tinkling, and you hear the, kind of some background noise. Right. What happened was is that I was asked to speak after him when I went up to speak and share my story as just kind of this country kid from Bakersfield. Right. I just wound up doing it in a funny way because I never trusted the federal government. I mean, we're a very conservative city here in Bakersfield. Right. And so I'm like, what? I don't want to get the government involved in what I'm doing. And so everybody was laughing and half the audience was government people. Once I had them there, everything was quiet. I mean, they listened to every word I said. Every now and then you do a speech and it just everything kind of turned to gold, maybe by accident, but it just wound up being a really good presentation. And then I had a line of people when I stopped my speech and they gave a break and I had all these people wanting to talk to me. And then one of these big guys with the little microphone thing or speaker in his ear right. says, I've got somebody who wants to talk to you downstairs. And they led me downstairs below this 
forum at UCLA, and they had this small group of people from Washington, D.C. there, and they asked me, they said, if we asked you to be on a council representing agriculture and small to mid-sized business from Kern County, if we asked you to do that, is that something you would do? And I said, wow, I would be honored. They said, well, you'd be serving your country as a commercial diplomat. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I was kind of blown away. It was kind of surreal for me. It seemed like a movie. I think what they wanted was Kevin McCarthy has a big influence in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and I was in Kevin McCarthy's district, and mm -hmm. I think that had a lot to do with it. And I've wound up, look, I know Kevin. We're on a first-name basis. I can't say, like, I'm a best friend, but every time I see him, I mean, we all like to hang out on Luigi's on Saturday. <laughs> and uh, great guy. So I have a nice rapport with him, and he gave us a congressional award. So I think they wanted some local influence on the Republican Party and on Kevin McCarthy, honestly, is why they appointed me to the Export Council. Right. Boy, I've gotten a lot of good connections. I've met a lot of people, and it's opened a lot of doors for me. And I'm honored because it's I don't get paid for it. It is a volunteer position, but you have to be appointed. So actually, the U.S. Secretary of Commerce appointed me about seven, eight years ago, Penny mm -hmm. Pritzker. And then when Trump was elected and Wilbur Ross and, came and, in, and by the way, he appointed me. Just to put this in clarification, the president was Barack Obama at the time. Right. So you were appointed by a Democratic president, Correct. his secretary, and then reappointed by a Republican president. Correct. Yeah. So Wilbur Ross reappointed me for four more years and I accepted the appointment. And I think it's really cool to have worked for both sides because I'm actually a very proud independent. So I like to be the mediator, the moderator. I like to find the common ground and let's find a way for us to unify. Sure. Unity is how we run our company. Unity is how we run our business. I promote unity in government all that I can. It's not easy. But <laughs> I try. <laughs> What is one thing that you would like Visioneer Nation to know that they could do today to grow a strong and profitable business? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, the first thing is don't be discouraged and don't give up. I think my secret, if I have one, is I've learned how to compartmentalize. And what I mean by that is there are aspects of your business between being an employer, mm -hmm. relationships with employees, relationships with vendors, relationship with customers that you have to compartmentalize because you're going to have times during your work week where some things are going like horribly wrong while in other aspects of your business are going extremely right. And if you let your mood swing all to one side or the other, I don't think you can really succeed with that method. I think what you have to do is compartmentalize and troubleshoot your problems, but set those aside so that you can be there for your employees and your customers and your vendors, right? So if you can compartmentalize your problems, troubleshoot them, I think controlled chaos is a way that a lot of us run our small businesses. Sure, sure. And also the old fake it till you make it, because <laughs> when we first started, it was my father and I and a secretary. I was loading trucks with a big Tyvek suit because the sulfur would get all over me, right? Right. And the secretary would do the billing, and my father would do the selling. We started with us three, and we contracted some people to do our mining for us. Now we do all our own mining, and we've really built a company big, and I've got people that can help me. But I have swept the floor here. I've done every job. I've even done secretarial when my secretary was off work. I did all the billings and postings and invoicing. So when I train people, I'm training people It's something I already know how to do, and they understand that and know that. But I think compartmentalization of problems and downturns 
is the way that I've survived through the tough times. Because no matter how bad things get in one aspect of your company, you need to look to the positive on other aspects of your company and just learn how to segregate your time in your brain Mm -hmm. to handle, set aside, and sometimes sleep on your problem areas. Ah, very good. Well, Jerry, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the Small Business Celebration podcast. And again, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? You can email me at jerry at heartofnature.biz, mm-hmm. or you can contact me at our offices in Bakersfield at 661-399-9755. Very good. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the Small Business Celebration Podcast. We've learned a tremendous amount from you today and stuff that we can actually use as we go out in the real world today. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Michael. Boy, that takes you back, doesn't it? With COVID-19 running amok, our businesses are dependent upon the internet now more than ever. And I'll bet you just found all the computer technical glitches you never knew you had. Good news for you. Kern County's number one rated computer repair service, Bakersfield Bytes, is here and online to take care of your Mac and PC needs. Need help configuring your video conference calls from being so glitchy? Having issues interfacing with your customers, clients, and employees online? Bakersfield Bytes' competent and knowledgeable staff is here to guide you through your hardware and software needs so you can have the interface your business deserves. Call Bakersfield Bytes at 661-496-5900 or visit them at bakersfieldbytes.com. That's bakersfieldbytes.com, 661-496-5900, or visit them at bakersfieldbytes.com. That's bakersfieldbytes.com. Who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business leader who is a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Join the Visioneer Tribe at Small Business Celebration on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.